Chapter 8 In these days, newspapers, television and cheap novels bombard us with subtle allusions and crass assumptions that God is irrelevant and that those who believe are either corrupt or stupid. It takes some considerable effort to swim against the tide and say, wait a minute, do you know what you're talking about? Does your lack of respect merely show your prejudice and your ignorance? And what do you gain by undermining the faith of thousands who find great comfort in their beliefs? All the same, year after year, these attacks can wear us down. God may love the world, but what difference does he really make? We know from experience that a kind and loving person may be powerless to help or to protect. In some circumstances, love is not enough if it has no power to intervene and take control. Is that all we can really expect of God? A little sympathy or regret? In the heat of the battle between good and evil, all is noise and confusion, and the majority may seem to be against us. We cannot tell if the course of events will swing this way or that, or who in the end will win. The onlooker might conclude that God himself is powerless to intervene. He may be loving, but is he in reality so weak and insignificant that we'd be unwise to look to him for help and foolish to depend on him for anything? The Bible writers have an uncompromising answer to this question. In fact, they have more to say about the power and authority of Yahweh than about his love. Having created the universe, he sustains it, he directs it, redistributes the people upon it, and at times he condemns and removes tribes, nations and individuals. To Jeremiah he says, It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to anyone I choose. Jesus, when challenged by the Roman governor, said, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. The Almighty is indeed Almighty. Job said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jesus agreed. All things are possible with God, he said. But the power of Yahweh to intervene and take control is not random or capricious. It's purposeful and exercised for the benefit of his people. Many times we read, They cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. When Jerusalem was threatened, he declared, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, sang her song. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. This world may seem out of control but the Bible writers have reason to think the opposite. I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh, 
plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The eternal Elohim not only knows the future, he secures it. I am God, he says, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. But this raises a further question. If Yahweh is truly in control, why does he not keep us safe from harm and danger in the world he's so carefully made? In these present days, as indeed throughout human history, it's evident that vandals, terrorists, profiteers and fools are at loose in this unhappy world. Many good ideas and great plans are carelessly spoiled or deliberately wrecked. Jesus told a story in which a farmer sowed good seed in his field. At night someone came and sowed weeds among the wheat. The servants came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He replied, an enemy has done this. From early days, the Bible writers were aware not only of Yahweh working for good in his creation, but also an unseen enemy working actively for evil. This is the adversary, Satan or Satanas in Aramaic, also known as the accuser, devil or diabolos in Greek. It's clear that we may sow good seed and pray for a good harvest, but then, on account of an enemy, see our hopes frustrated and our fields spoiled. And this problem, Jesus warns us, will not be resolved before Judgment Day. We suffer with our Lord the profound sorrow of seeing his creation in constant danger and disarray. Many good intentions and noble projects are undermined or crushed. Jesus himself, teaching his disciples, was troubled by one who became a traitor. Paul, as he preached good news, suffered a thorn in the flesh, an agent sent by Satan. Others were warned, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Most of us are handicapped in some way. It's what we achieve against the odds that makes our lives heroic. But why would the eternal Elohim withdraw his protection from what he's so carefully made? Why would he allow an enemy to wreck it? We imagine there must be some compelling reason, and indeed there is. The troubles we face make us aware of something we really need to know. They serve to remind us and to ensure we never forget that we are held accountable for what we do. When our earliest ancestors chose to disobey God, the whole world was changed.
The earth became a dangerous place for mankind. They wanted a knowledge of both good and evil, and that's what they got. They began to suffer disease, damage, decay, and ultimately death. As human beings, we are survivors of one judgment and preparing to face another. That will be the last judgment, the final judgment, when the whole world is called to account. After that, there will be no further judgments, no more danger, decay, disaster or death, for the earth and everything in it will be made new. At present we live in a disordered world, preparing for a world restored to order, and preparing ourselves to live in it. And yet, despite the chaos, the Master has not abandoned the field, nor the good seed growing in it. He has workers watching night and day to limit the harm that can be done. If our enemy is unseen, so too are the angels of the Almighty, thousands and thousands of them, according to the Bible, spirits who serve God and are sent by him to help those who are to receive salvation. As we pray each day for safety, corrupt people and occult powers are held in check, unable to reach the children of God. It is written, the Son of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot touch them. And yet, as long as this world lasts, there will be injustice, and people who suffer through no fault of their own. In every conflict there are bystanders caught in the crossfire, and peacemakers whose efforts are despised. It's at the final harvest that all wrongs will be put right. Let both grow together until the harvest, says the Master, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Not till that great harvest day will all the accounts be paid and justice done. Not till the wheat is safely gathered in will its true value be assessed. And so we read, if you are doing good and suffering for it, that is something very special in the sight of God. It's something he will not forget. No doubt we are kept safe from many dangers, many perhaps that we're not even aware of. And yet the suffering of the world around us continues without ceasing an endless cycle of corruption, tyranny and war. We've already wondered why our Creator does not step in to solve the problems of planet Earth. Why doesn't he simply put an end to disease, decay and death? There is a reason. We have a global problem which requires a global solution. In many places, people are seeking not to limit corruption, tyranny and war, but to exploit these for their own advantage. In fact, things could be much worse. As things stand, every conqueror and oppressor eventually suffers illness or gets old and dies. 
But in a world with no disease, decay or death, a tyrant would continue in robust health to exploit and enslave his people and neighbouring peoples for ever and ever. If there were just one bully with this permanent immunity, he would take risks unthinkable to ordinary mortals. He would outlive all his rivals and become ruler of the world. This makes one thing clear. The earth can only be healed when every last germ and parasite is gone. We'll only be safe when every trace of evil is removed from our planet and when all its inhabitants are totally transformed. Our world cannot be put right until everyone in it wants it put right. Only then will it stay right. This, of course, has never yet happened, and many people assume it never will. But Jesus, possessing inside knowledge, has told us it will be done, and done indeed by fire. Our fragile planet will be burnt to ashes and paradise restored on the surface of the globe. I came to cast fire on the earth, he said, and how I wish it were already kindled. His close friend Peter knew what he meant. The heavens and earth that now exist are being reserved for fire, he said being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Those final minutes are described in detail. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and everything on it will be laid bare. Then just as Yahweh made the old heavens and earth long ago, He'll create for us a new world. New heavens and a new earth inhabited by all that pleases God. On the new earth there will be no selfish, exploiting, violent, oppressive people, for all have perished in the fire. Human nature itself will be changed. Not one of Earth's survivors will ever wish to exploit or oppress or harm another. Those who are chosen to repopulate the planet and re-establish its technologies, economies, sciences and arts will be raised from death with bodies that never grow old, ready to live as Jesus taught us to live in his kingdom. It is written, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. The facts are as clear as this. The inventor will reprogram his creation so it never breaks down again. We might say the world will be reformatted, the software upgraded and reinstalled. It may sound like science fiction, an imaginative utopian dream. Yet science fiction has often foreseen what later came to pass. And when the Bible writers predicted all this, they knew nothing of science fiction. They simply wrote what their Lord had shown them, believing it will happen exactly as he said.
And of course, if a creator made this world, there's no reason at all why he should not mend it. And every reason for us to listen carefully when he tells us how. That is how the Bible writers saw it. But can we add anything that will make sense to our own generation? If Yahweh is perfectly loving and supremely powerful, why are we left to face so many difficulties and bear so many bitter sorrows seemingly on our own? Truth is said to be stranger than fiction. But fiction may sometimes illuminate truth. Imagine a storybook where the prince and princess meet, get married, have plenty of children and live happily ever after. Is that book likely to become a bestseller? Or imagine a biography in which the main character has a normal childhood, finds a reasonable job, gets married to a nice girl, has a couple of children and eventually retires to enjoy a relaxed old age. How many of us would be content with a life so comfortable that there were no obstacles to overcome, no knots to unravel, no exploits to accomplish, no victories to win? The idle rich in past times went mad with boredom or suicidal with the tedious monotony of a comfortable life. In these days, they turn more often to drink or drugs. Every skilled author leads his characters through dangers and difficulties. That's what makes the story interesting. A handsome prince must climb walls, leap chasms, fight dragons, outwit ogres, find a golden key and open a dungeon door before he can rescue the beautiful princess. There's something in human nature that's only satisfied when solving problems and overcoming difficulties. That's why we spend hours with crossword puzzles, detective mysteries, jigsaws, quiz shows and card games. That's why we're devotees of the fishing rod, the racing bicycle and the golf course. Some go so far as whitewater rafting, bungee jumping or climbing mountains with crampons and ropes. We like a physical challenge, which is also a test of character. So far, so good. We enjoy overcoming obstacles. But we also like a happy ending. It's the anticipation of the happily ever after that makes the pain and the trouble and expense worthwhile. The eternal God is writing a story. It begins with the book of Genesis and it ends with the book of Revelation. Our chapter is somewhere in the middle. When things look black, we might do well to sneak a look at the final page, just to reassure ourselves that all God's stories have a happy ending. The life that he gives you does not promise to be easy. You will have problems to resolve, opportunities to seize, frustrations to overcome. There will be challenges that bring out the best in you, or the worst. How you deal with them is up to you. But there's no fear that we'll be tested beyond our strength. From experience, one of the Bible writers affirmed, God is faithful 
and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That does not mean we'll always know exactly what's going on, or why. On one occasion, Jesus himself said, What I'm doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. There are reasons hidden from us that will one day be made clear. Limited we undoubtedly are in our knowledge and perception. But the God who made all this was there at the beginning, and he will be there at the finish. I am the Alpha and the Omega, he says, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As every inventor will know more than his invention, we'd expect him to understand many things at present hidden from mankind. We should learn a measure of humility when discussing these questions. We can guess, perhaps, or speculate about why he's allowed his creation to become a constant challenge and a threat to us. Was it so that we might grow in strength of character through the challenges we face? Or that we might bear one another's burdens and so discover the meaning of love? Or that we might despair of ourselves and cry out for help to him? Or so we might look forward with keener anticipation to the day when this old world gives way to one far better and prepare ourselves and others for that day. As Solomon the Wise observed, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud. The happy ending is all the happier for the challenges which have been faced and the obstacles that have been overcome. But we cannot know the whole story until we turn the final page.